Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured Premier League match numbers 22 and 23 against Manchester City and Aston Villa. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove. How are you? Oh, fine. Now that we're back at the top of the table, I can breathe a little bit easier. Yeah, I'd say after all of that, uh, we're we're <laughs> effectively right back where we started, which is a nice uh, a nice feeling. Yeah, almost back where we started. Or we are we aren't quite as clear as we were, but still with the game in hand. So yeah, yeah, I and mean that and that's really the important thing. We'll talk about it, but having still having that game in hand, uh, which uh, has been rescheduled, but we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, so um, first, some follow-up. I've been trying to say a certain player's name what as closely as I could um, to, to how he himself pronounces it, but it turns out that even that wasn't actually really all that close in the first place. And I put a video, uh, it will, uh, the link will be in the show notes. I found a tweet someone uh, linked out to of... The man himself, Martin Odegaard, saying his own name in, I guess, Norwegian would be the uh, the language? Yes, he's Norwegian. Yeah, I, I didn't know if Norwegian was actually was a language <laughs> or yep. just the nationality, but um, Norse or, or Norwegian. But yeah, so he says it in his native tongue. And then he also says at the end, making me comfortable calling him Martin Odegaard, he says, but you can call me Odegaard and that's fine. So that's what I will... <laughs> now proceed to do i will say odegaard like everyone else and it's fine <laughs> we'll do the best we can so yeah exactly for for us americans so um next i i hadn't actually planned on asking about the black armbands from this match but it came up as we were prepping for the show that there actually is an interesting story there uh keith do you want to talk about that yeah, so my well, I I guess I'm kind of curious to see how all it played out. But obviously, I, in the big story in the news the last week or so has been uh, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, uh, which of course has has uh, led to the death of, of thousands of people. Quite tens really quite of thousands, awful. tens yeah, of thousands. Yes, yeah. it's it's quite awful. Um, a one of the for the longest time it was believed this was one of the the people in there was a um, a man named Christian Atsu. Who was a was a Ghanaian uh, professional who played for the uh, Turkish side Hatayspor? I might be mispronouncing that, uh, but had spent mm -hmm. a number of years uh, before that in the Premier League. Had played a little at Everton and Bournemouth, and also at Newcastle. Actually, played a number of games at Newcastle until recently. And uh, he he had disappeared on the morning of the earthquake, and apparently was. Saturday morning, they he his body was found, and I know certainly the Newcastle game, uh, since he played there, had a moment of silence for him before the game. But certainly, I wonder. Apparently, that was early in the morning on Saturday, so it's possible that's that was for, um, that was league wide. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously, the entire thing is is incredibly tragic. But you know, sometimes sometimes putting an, an individual human face on it makes the tragedy just seem a little bit a little bit different. Right. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's certainly a tragedy that uh, that earthquake has really devastated the region. So no, it's uh, sad for them. But uh, yeah, so uh, so meanwhile, uh, turning to what was sad for us, uh, we played Manchester City on Wednesday, and that match did not exactly go as we <laughs> would have hoped it did. Um, we ended up losing one to three. 
we ended the first half tied 1-1 and then just kind of lost it in the second half a bit. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk about high, some high-level things first. I mean, to, to me, what was the the most upsetting part about watching this was that there were two, as far as I can recall, there were two goals that were directly attributable to just outright mistakes, specific individual mistakes that Arsenal made. Um, the, the first of which I think it was, I think it was Tomiyasu was a defender. I'm pretty sure it was Tomiyasu who just blew it, just let a player through who he should not have let through. He went on the outside instead of cutting on the inside or something. And it just, Ramsdale was way out of goal and there was no no one defending and it just went right past him. That was our first goal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, well, so, yeah. so in that one, in that one, I, I think, I mean, it's very easy to point to the direct errors that were made. And, and those are obviously true in the first case. Yeah. Tomiyasu with the pass back effectively to no one. Some of that though also needs to be thrown to the other defenders who were, who are not being, who are, you know, the central defenders, Saliba and Gabriel, who were a little careless in terms of tracking their men and, you know, and credit where it's due. That was Kevin De Bruyne who finished off, the goal, which was a pretty impressive, uh, pretty impressive it chip. It was a nice and, shot. And, he, and he's, but it didn't need to be necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, well, yeah, I mean, and you know, it's one of those that there there aren't a lot of players who could do that, and Kevin De Bruyne is one of them. He's a, he is he is really an excellent player. He hasn't hasn't had such a great season, but is still a, a very excellent player. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know, a lot of cases in the second half too. There's a breakdown. I think it was Gabriel had a bad pass. Uh, a ball right. deflect. You know, the the shot ends up deflecting off Tomiyasu in and in, in. You know, if it doesn't deflect, maybe it's a save. I mean, you know, for for Tomiyasu who puts a lot on himself, um, you know, to come in get his first start and to have two sort of high profile, certainly one high profile error error and then another, you know, certainly be directly involved in the, in another goal like that is is a real tough thing for him. Um, yeah. And but I think it's as well. I have to say, certainly in the first half, I thought we were good. I, I thought we were very good in the first half. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting in watching this game. Normally, I watch. You know, of course, I watch live. Uh, I had a a, a thing at work uh, for the second half, so I was not able to watch the second half live. I of course checked the score as soon as I was done and saw what had happened. But given the the magnitude of the game, I actually did. I think on Friday I went and rewatched Thursday or Friday. I went and rewatched. Uh, the second half, and it was definitely uh, it, it was definitely a second, a, a different, definitely a different half. I thought City was City was a lot better, mm-hmm. but overall, I thought we played well. The big difference was, you know, we we gave them some moments, and you know, they they can you saw you just saw their skill level; they can convert those moments. Yeah, so yeah, it it, it definitely. Definitely did feel different in the second half. I, I noticed that too. Um, I, I don't know what <laughs> to what exactly that is attributable, but yeah, that was that was disappointing. Uh, well, I'll say I think one of the big things was the formation change. I mean, in City's case, they took off Bernardo Silva, who's not really a, 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 a defender, and who frankly was getting was getting chewed up by Bukayo Saka. Um, frankly, is is lucky to have still been on the field uh, at, at halftime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was pulled off. You could see them settle. They, they switched to a back, more of a back four traditional defenders, and definitely looked a little. They looked a little more sturdy, a little more solid. We still actually uh, controlled possession, uh, which is you know it, is not something that will typically happen against Manchester City. That's 
that's sort of their bread and butter is the controlling the game. And we actually, I believe, had more possession right. in the game, which is, you know, you, you don't get any right. trophies well, for winning I, possession, but yeah. Right. Well, and I noticed that specifically because you had talked about that. I think you compared them to a boa constrictor or something the last time we played them where once they get a wedge in, it's like, that's it. Like they just kind of tighten and tighten and tighten. Um, and I noticed that that didn't happen. We did even it back up after, you know, the, the their initial goal. So, yeah. Um, you, you mentioned Bernardo Silva. I mean, that's like one of the through lines in my notes about the match was he was guarding Saka and just over and over and over again, fouling and fouling and fouling. And it wasn't toward, until like almost at the end, it was in stoppage time in the first half that he finally got a yellow card. And I was thinking the way that he'd been playing all match I was surprised that they even put him back in, given the likelihood of him drawing another yellow card and getting kicked out. Um, but that didn't end up happening, like you said. But yeah, he kind of cooled off, it seems like, after the yellow card. So that was good, at least. But it was frustrating that it took so many rough fouls against Saka before that he finally did pull the yellow card out. Yeah, and 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 I and I was I was rewatching. For some reason, I thought he had been pulled to the half. I actually just pulled up the box score. He actually wasn't. He was still on the field. But I, it definitely seemed like right. they. It definitely seems as though City uh, adju- made some adjustments in terms of how they were how they were playing, and that took a little took a little bit of the. Uh, it took a little bit of the wind out of our sails. But we still wound up with you know sixty percent possession, which is not something that typically happens when you play against City. So. Yeah. Again, no points for that. You don't get any points for for winning possession battles, but it's an interesting thing to see. But again, we we struggled in those moments, and you saw we had a couple of moments. Inkedia flashes the header wide, a um, couple of chances that drifted wide of the net, and just you know, this, they got their chances and they scored, and we didn't, and that's that was the difference. Right. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about that occurred toward the beginning of the second half was Tomiyasu had the ball ready to throw in and he was just waiting for his opportunity to throw the ball in. This was in the 48th minute. Um, And he just, there weren't any open players and he was just kind of looking for his opening and the ref blows his whistle and gives him a game delay yellow card. I'm just wondering how common is that? And, and what should he have done instead? Like assuming that there was no one to throw to, which I didn't see any clear opportunities that he was, I mean, it was the beginning of the second half. There's no reason at this point with it still tied at that point for him to be delaying. What, what causes a call like that? Um, So yeah, that was a yellow for, for time wasting. Um, Yeah. I thought that was a very curious call. I, I, part of me wonders if it was connected to a time wasting card they had given to Anderson back in the first half. You normally, you will rarely see those call those cards time wasting given in the first half. Um, And certainly Anderson was taking his sweet time before he was making a pass or making a play on the ball. And so in a sense, I don't think the call was wrong, but I thought that I did think it was very curious Especially given how the game was going, I I I did think that yeah. was a curious a curious call. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of it, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I, think, I, th- okay. I think I saw a point someone else made is really the yellow should have gone to the rest of the Arsenal players for not getting open and having giving them. Well, yeah, exactly. I think yeah, the commentator had made a comment to that effect. Yeah, I was like, yeah, seriously, what <laughs> what should he have done? <laughs> yeah. So okay. 
Um, what so what happened with uh, Erling Holland and uh, Gabrielle toward toward the end of a second half? There was like a big fight, and like what what happened? <laughs> it, it looked like if if it's the play I'm remembering, I think it was a case they were both tussling, heading towards goal. And right. I think Holling went down. I think the the claim was he wanted a penalty. If it's a play right. I'm thinking of, I could be mixing it up as well because I watched I watched City's game against uh, Nottingham Forest on on Saturday, and there was definitely a play ah, okay. where Holland Holland went down super easy, and frankly was lucky to not get booked for diving. Uh, but I, hmm. I, I think there was an instance where the two of them were grappling with each other. Oh yes, no, I do remember the play. Um, yeah, so they're grappling, and it's it's a foul. Gabriel commit. Gabriel does commit a foul. Holland wanted a penalty, but it was outside the box. The thing was, the play was actually offside, and so it the offside wipes out the foul. Well, yeah, exactly. But like, I don't know that I necessarily agreed with it being called a foul in the first place because it looked like Gabriel had pulled him down, but like. Holland already had been pulling him down first. It seemed like it was like, I didn't know who actually originated it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Holland is a, certainly having seen him twice now and especially on watching the one Wednesday, Holland is definitely a a grabby player. He definitely is. He is not afraid to use his, his size and strength to to toss people around. Um, Hmm. And you can get part of thing is sort of thing you can get away with when you're that size. He's a, he is a, he's a giant person. (laughs) Um, Hmm. But I mean, part of it is I think I, I, I watched that play, and when I, I when I saw that because I was watching that one on the replay, when I saw that one, yeah, I mean, defenders defenders will rarely get the benefit of the doubt in that situation. Um, I, I was not at all surprised to see that called a call a foul on that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, since we got bailed know. out, it was the right call. It was the right call in terms of the offside. I thought was that was correct, but it was obviously very, well, right. Um, it it helps when the VAR team actually draws the lines. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know. What a. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, the now former VAR official who no longer is in that position. Oh, is that actually? Did that actually happen? Did he get fired? Yeah. Well, he. I believe the official phrase was parted by mutual consent. Um, <laughs> but officially, yeah. But okay. if it, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it, I, I think there was a little bit of. Uh, yeah, I, they, someone pointed out he is he has been involved in six VAR errors this season, which is a lot. Uh, okay, yeah, that's that, not. Uh, yeah, that really makes me annoyed that he still had his job and was able to make that error in the last match. Yeah, City. that's and he, and yeah. you know one of those things uh, is you know there was uh, the um, there's a new head of VAR uh, Howard Webb is the uh, the new guy for um is the new guy in charge and one of the things he's he's done is he he took over fairly recently and and part of what he's talked about is transparency and accountability and of course most people say that sort of thing and say sure transparency accountability okay fine but i think we are actually might be seeing and howard webb is a you know people make fun of referees for various reasons howard webb actually was a pretty solid one actually i believe did officiate a world cup final um, so is it is hmm. widely generally regarded as a a good referee, and so I think the hope is um, that he w- the the hope is that he will uh, really do the things um, 
Yeah, that they say that that he says they that he says they will. Mm-hmm. Uh, that actually you will start no, to see greater accountability. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm yeah, still of hopeful. the mindset. Yeah, I mean, I'm still of the mindset. It's it is fascinating how many of the officials are all from the greater Manchester area. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's it's not necessarily like a Manchester conspiracy theory, but just a sense of this is the best <laughs> league in the world, a league that has no problem you know paying for players from everywhere. So why are all of the why is it the rule that all the officials have to be English? Like what what is you know what why does that have to be the case? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure what the answer really is, but yeah, I guess it's just that it's an English league. Uh, yeah, I don't know. and I and, and I mean I can certainly understand the desire to grow the talent in the game, but you know, they don't have to be English players. Why do they have to be English referees? So. Right. But that's a conversation for another time, I think. So (laughs) I'm curious, uh, when you said Webb officiated a World Cup final, was he the on field ref or was he he was the AR ref? No, it was I I looked it up to be sure it was in twenty ten. And actually apparently that year he also about a month or so before that also officiated the Champions League final. Uh the first the first referee ever to do both those games in the same year. So certainly speaks to the the um, the regard in which he is held in in those circles right um eh, good yeah hopefully hopefully it does get a little bit better yeah so all right well speaking of things getting better uh, we played aston villa on saturday <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. um yeah so that was that was a nail biter of a match i i barely made it through um and you know it's it's one of these things where as my fandom i guess grows as my like thoughts and feelings like i guess yeah. i'm i'm wondering how much of it is me and also how much is just when i happen to start watching them where it's like for so many matches i never really doubted that they were going to win i never really doubted that they were going to pull it out in the end it's just that's what they did. They they just win and win and win, right? Where all of a sudden they are in this slump, right? They had three or four matches without a win. And yep. I guess it would be four if you include the FA Cup match. Yeah, as I right? say, it was the line in uh, like four. four, four uh, we're winless in our last four in all competitions. Obviously, City on the Cup and yeah. then Everton, the draw with Brentford, and then losing to City again. Right, so... So yeah, I mean, so we're we're amidst of a slump. We just had the defeat uh, versus Manchester, and it's like, uh, okay, well, <laughs> we're kind of hanging in there, but it really seemed like it would end up in a draw when when the dust settled. But uh, yeah, we we managed to pull it out uh, just barely. But I guess it was kind of frustrating where to me, this was kind of a through line where I can see what you're saying that there was more of it going on than just those direct errors that resulted in those, the the couple of Mm. Manchester city goals that ended up pushing them over the edge. But I I was seeing like the makings of a similar through line with this, with this match versus Aston Villa where we're at Aston Villa, where we had a couple very obvious opportunities that were blown. I mean, that one Odegaard goal, like that was just like, come on. He, he didn't have anyone right on him. It was a very clear chance. He could have taken a half second longer, lined it up and just gotten that in the goal. Like there's really no excuse for that. Right. Yeah. It was, it was Um, a tap in and he didn't tap it in. Uh, Yeah. Right. (laughs) 
So, so that was really bad. And there was at least one or two other opportunities. I'm, I'm specifically thinking of an Enkedia header that he was he was totally positioned right. He just couldn't quite get it under. I think it bounced off the crossbar or something. Yeah. Um, There's just another one or two opportunities that it's like that would have been it. We would have been sailing easy through the rest of a second half if we just hadn't made those clear offensive mistakes. And it they did end up pulling it out, but oh my god, the it was nerve wracking. Yeah, although I have to say, I, I think I think that's definitely true in the first half because uh, the first half we were very sloppy. Um, sort of the things we kind of talked about before in other instances: pos- toothless possession, a lot of moving the ball around, not really sure where to go with it, not really generating chances, and then of course to get them. Um, you know, to to give up the two goals they did, which were just which were frankly poor plays by a number of people. Um, you know, the the second goal in particular, Arsenal loses every single duel between um, you know between when the ball's given away and when the and when the ball goes in the back of the net, the other end. It's just like that can't happen. That's just that's the kind of thing that you, mm. you can see Arteta. Cause people were passing around the um, the clip from. Uh, what was it? The one of the clips from from the documentary where he talks about when I lose a duel, I'm upset. Like that's the sort of thing he's talking about. You have to be, mm. you have to hold yourself to that standard, and they weren't in the first half. And you know, it, what did he say at halftime? You know, how did he, he's, you know, Arteta's very careful about how he talks to players, but every once in a while, there's a time where they have to do the, they call it the hair dryer. And sometimes you just need to, sometimes the players just need to get yelled at. You know, there's just something isn't clicking and maybe that's what happened. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I'm not in the room. We don't have a documentary this time to, you know, tell us yeah. what was going on. But uh, it was definitely a, uh, it was very frustrating to watch. But then I thought in the second half, I thought they were much better. I, you know, yes, it's frustrating to see Odegaard miss and Kedia miss, see a lot of misses, but they kept carving out dangerous chances. And throughout that second half, I was just thinking, mm. we, we are going to, we're going to get it. We're going to beat these guys. We're going to get these chances. And it really just, it, uh, oh, puts in the goal. They, they finally level it and it got a little open. They had a chance to smash it off the bar themselves. Uh, and then the, uh, and then of course the winner. Jorginho and right, our old right. old friend Emmy Martinez. Right, yeah, this, I, I felt bad for him. <laughs> it really kind of, I don't know. What's your take on that? To me, it looked like if I wouldn't call that his fault exactly. <laughs> like he was on the ground. There's nothing much he could have easily probably done to prevent that. But it's unfortunate timing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, it, in his sense, it's a bit unlucky. He was, um, yeah, he, uh, that's, that's just unlucky. Um, actually, so apparently, Jorginho made a comment after the game that he's had that happen before where he's, um, he, he's shot, shot a ball, hit the post, and hit off the keeper, but it, last time it bounced wide. So he's very excited that this one bounced in. Um, Right. I have to say, though, there aren't going to be a lot of Arsenal fans who were terribly upset about it. So, oh, no. Emmy Martinez. <laughs> uh, so he, Martinez was a Martinez was a was a backup at Arsenal. He came up through the academy. Uh, you know, was a, was a decent player, but he was the backup. Oh gosh, that was 2020. So in the restart from COVID, he was the backup uh, behind Burn Leno. Leno gets hurt mm-hmm. in like the second game back for in the COVID restart. And Martinez takes over, and we're like, we've never really seen this guy. We don't know how good he is. Um, and he wound up 
he, I mean, he had some young moments, but also did really well in the cup and actually was the, the keeper who won us the FA Cup. Uh, so, okay. But he wanted regular playing time, which is perfectly understandable. And, you know, we, we agreed to sell him to, uh, to Aston Villa. Uh, which I think worked out for everybody. And Martinez has since been the starter there. He is also the starter for um, he's also the starter for the Argentine national team. So he did just right. win the World Cup. He is a pretty uh, pretty regular trash talker, um, <laughs> and has has made some okay. comments in the aftermath of of being at Arsenal and leaving Arsenal. That's kind of like, look, we understand you were upset and you wanted to play and all that, but like. We didn't treat you that badly here. It's you know, calm down. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so, and he was a he is a master of the uh, the gamesmanship and the dark arts. Uh, a well deserved yellow for time wasting uh, that he picked up. Very well deserved. Yeah. Yeah, and frankly, one that should have been called a lot sooner uh, than that. <laughs> it was interesting. We, we sort of mentioned this, that he did, uh, you know, the referee in the, the city game, Anthony Taylor was, was certainly very, was certainly, uh, very willing to, uh, to, to put it, to give cards, which I, and reasonably so, uh, I think you saw the mm-hmm. opposite in, in this game. I didn't catch the official's name, but he was not, uh, he was not, he was very much slower as far as giving out cards. And so, there's a certain sense of the, the word karma is being thrown around for, for Martinez. <laughs> um, make of that what you will. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, 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 yeah, I, I, I certainly don't feel all that bad for him given the circumstances. No, I mean, and, and also, I mean, aside from anything outside of the gameplay factoring in, I think also it just really was an amazing strong kick from Jorginho that although it did nick the crossbar it was just the power of it if that hadn't been kicked as hard it wouldn't have bounced off of Martinez that way you know yeah I mean it's it's certainly tremendous power uh that that he generated um and I thought you know we didn't talk about this in the city game as well you know we obviously Thomas Party being out um was was a big loss it certainly in the in the in for both of the for certainly for the city game in particular, but also for this one as well. But Jorginho is sort of finding his place. He's a different player. He can't do what Thomas Party does because mm-hmm. I don't know that there's really many players, period, who can do what Party does for us. Um, and so, you know, to we can certainly talk about you know the degree to which Arsenal played well, uh, needing. You know, ne- needing a result against, uh, you know, a, a res- trying played well against City with a a sort of not their strongest lineup. Obviously, he's obviously um, Party being out, Gabriel Jesus being out. But then, you know, again to come back here against against Villa, I I thought he overall played pretty well. And Villa's a different team. Obviously, they were they were much more willing to sit back. The more fascinating one was uh, Zinchenko's goal was actually his first ever goal in the Premier League. Yeah, I heard that. Oh, in the Premier League, I thought they just said for Arsenal in the Premier no. League, like in the Premier League period. Uh, yeah, because he he played at City for a number of years. I mean, he played a lot more time with right um, in you know set, you know in cup competitions and um, oh what else is it cups and and Europe. But yeah, for, so for him to oh. that, was a, that was a nice moment for him. First goal as a, first Premier League goal. Yeah, well, and that, that was a 
beautiful shot too. It went past three or four defenders and in, maybe including the goalie. And it was, that yeah, was a really good shot. Yeah. Rolled or just sort of rolled it right in. Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's what you do. You keep taking those chances and you'll get them. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, yeah, he did what he often does. He had kind of a, a couple that went wide or, you know, high um, earlier in the match. He just, he, he's always willing to take the shot, even if it's not the best shot, but yeah, no, eventually it did pay off. That was, that was a really nice one from him. Um, just uh, some, some other notes. So following the, and I, I keep on meaning to look it up and I haven't, but the, the posts that keep the tension in the back upper corners of a net, um, so Aston Villa's stadium does only have two instead of three, and yet theirs are also painted to match their jerseys with the maroon and light blue stripes. So uh, yes, the uh, cl- <laughs> claret, I believe it's called in in England. That dark red is called claret. Ah. Uh huh. So yeah, there Obvious you go. There's reasons. your there's, okay. your, there's your English lesson for the night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, West, yeah. West but, Ham uh, is the same colors. Oh okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but not right now with the blue. Also, okay. Yeah, cl- claret and sky blue. Yeah, which is a okay. nice combination, I have to say. And nice uh, no, some. Yeah, yeah, it is. So uh, I, I also wanted to call out. Uh, Ramsdale had some really key saves without a couple of blocks that he made that were really exceptional. I think the game might not have gone the same way. That was really good in the Aston Villa match. Um, and then I. Also wanted to give props to this referee for actually calling fouls made against Saka. Um, it, it didn't feel <laughs> like Saka was being ignored, like his well-being was being ignored throughout this whole match. So that was good. Uh, I I am not going to be so generous about that. Actually, I I thought no? they were. I thought they got away with a lot, including so there was a little dust up there in the first half. Um, it was uh, Coutinho. Uh, Coutinho should have been yellowed for that. That was a that was a scissor. He, he wraps his legs around him from behind. That is a that is a dangerous and dirty play, and that should have hmm, been okay. yellowed. And and Saka is Saka is completely in the right to bounce up and and start, you know, and, and go after him. I and he he. Oh. I mean, there was a yeah. That was yeah. That uh, right. That was the one where he retaliated, and Saka ended up getting the yellow in that case. Yeah, right? it was Saka and oh, was it Douglas Louise who had been? I think it was Douglas Louise who had been on him. Was um, right had been had been giving it had been giving him the business. No, I thought I I, I thought again. I mentioned this. Like I thought the officials, uh, you know, Taylor was was very giving with the yellows against City. I thought the officials this game were way too way too soft or way too slow in terms of giving yellows. I thought that was. I was I was not happy with that. Uh, there's another one where Saka like basically gets taken out, his shoe gets pulled off essentially, and there's no foul right. given, and it's just kind of like his what, shoe what, came off a couple times. Yeah, what what yeah. are we doing here? You know, there were yeah. a few instances he was limping around a little bit, uh, which was which is always a little terrifying to see. But he when he pushed his way through, um, right. Yeah, so, uh, well, while we're talking about officiation, uh, in the 90th minute, <laughs> a free kick was awarded to Arsenal, and the referee blew the whistle because he said that they, they were kicking the ball while it was still rolling, and I just laughed because, A, I'd never seen that called before, and it does happen that way sometimes that it is, like, rolling a little bit when they kick it. But what cracked me up, I was, I was alone in the room watching this match, like, late at night when everyone else had gone to bed because I was watching the replay. But so the referee indicates the call 
he indicates the call with this motion with his hands, like, you know, if you're doing like a dance or something, like your hands moving in circles around each other. I'm trying to create a theater of the mind here, right? Um, so, like, you're uh, doing what, what? what's the dance? Like uh, a mamba or something like da 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 So he does that motion. The camera cuts to Mikel Arteta mockingly doing the same thing and basically saying exactly what he thought about the call without saying a word that I could hear. It was really yes, funny. I did enjoy. I did enjoy the facial expression there. I, technically, those are dead balls. You are supposed to stop them, and it, but you'll see a lot yeah. of times some teams want to restart quickly. Arsenal clearly did in that case, but it was considered a little too right. Quick. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting right. call. But but yeah, it was it was the ninetieth minute. We were tied and we wanted to win the match right like, yeah okay yeah it was rolling a little bit but they're just trying to get it going quickly it wasn't like they were trying to gain field position or something but well they, well, they were yeah. a little bit but yeah. i mean you know it really does come down i mean maybe sense, but it was like it was in yeah. our half it was in our own half anyways it wasn't like we're like trying to at like inch it closer to the goal or anything we're just i don't know but yeah it, it, i mean but in, in a sense what you're saying there is the reason <laughs> you would call that because villa should have the opportunity to get back uh, that's the that's the argument for that we are trying to restart quickly, but because it's a dead ball, they they should be able to actually get back. I mean, it is one of those weirdly inconsistent things, and obviously, given the circumstances, like really, you're going to call that now? But um, yeah, yeah. Um, some other interesting notes they had shown a couple times. I think the first time they showed it was right after the first goal in the sixth minute, but Tom Hanks was in the crowd. Um, I thought that was interesting, and I thought it was even more interesting when they mentioned closer to the end of the match that he has apparently been an Aston Villa fan for 40 years, but this is the first time he actually made it to England to watch a match in person. I thought that was amazing. I, I can't imagine why he wouldn't have taken the chance sometime in the last 20 years, certainly, to try and get over there and see one. I guess just yeah. a busy schedule, probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Tom Hanks is a busy guy, so... Uh... yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 we, I, again, since I was watching in the, um, since obviously I was watching the bar, we didn't quite get the, the, all the commentary. I mean, I have to say, I didn't quite recognize him at first. Um, me neither. Yeah. And, and, and someone pointed out, I was like, why do we keep looking at this guy? Who's this guy we keep looking at? Someone goes, oh, that's Tom <laughs> Hanks. Oh, my goodness, it's Tom Hanks. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's the glasses. We're not used to seeing him with glasses. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he, he's uh disguise. Right, yeah. Um <laughs> But it, then I guess that is kind of curious that he hadn't um uh you know hadn't been out there. Um and that just seems like a really long time. I mean, I I can't imagine it being 40 years from now and I haven't made the time to see one match in person. I mean, I'm trying to way sooner than than 40 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, so, but yeah. you know, I although actually as just slipping through um uh, apparently, uh, Prince William, the Prince of Wales, is also an Aston Villa fan. Hmm. So, you know, it's, oh, it is okay. interesting with some of these clubs, as these teams become bigger and bigger, how many of them have all sorts of celebrity backers. Um, yeah. You know, all sorts of, all sorts the, of famous The question fans. just occurred to me. I don't, I don't really know about how their club formed or where the name comes from, but is it in any way related to the Aston Martin cars? Um, I don't know. So they're in Birmingham. They're actually one of the oldest uh, clubs in, they're one of the oldest clubs in, in England, uh, just in general. Yeah, 1874, they were founded. Um, 
the Aston yeah. is also the neighborhood in uh in Birmingham where they are. Um hmm. and they've played at Villa Park, that that stadium since 1897. Obviously it has wow. it has yeah. been renovated since then, of course. But, right. Um yeah, it's in it's in Birmingham. I don't know if there's any connection to the car. I don't I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm doing a little bit of cursory uh, searching. Yeah, it looks like the Aston Martin's headquarters is, is in Warwickshire. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> I don't know the geography yeah, yeah. too well, but yeah, eh, interesting. Um, but yeah, so uh, no, it was uh oh, and uh, I mean we we have to talk about the final play of the match, so. You know, we're we're just about six minutes into the six minutes of stoppage time that they announced, and a corner kick is awarded to Aston Villa, and Emmy Martinez does what is probably the the right thing to do. He figures this is going to be the last play. I may as well get myself into the opposing um, six six yard box and do my best to try and get the ball in for my team, but. <laughs> It kind of gets headed away from the goal, and I forget who got the uh, initial touch on it, but it gets moved like about to midfield or so, and then passed over to Gabby Martinelli, who does what he does best and runs, runs, runs with the ball, and it doesn't matter that there was someone who was arguably, I think, closer to him than the goal on, on Aston Villa's side, but he just runs with it and just has a field day knocking it into the open goal to help with our goal difference a little bit because yeah, uh, it, it may that, come down to that with Manchester City. <laughs> so there, so there's a fun little bit. There's a, there's a lot of fun layers to this story. Um, apparently in the aftermath, so we, we haven't talked about this yet, the uh, Aston Villa's manager is a guy, Unai Emery, who was actually Arteta's predecessor at Arsenal. He he was the coach hmm. uh, after when Arsene Wenger was was forced out. Let's let's be let's be clear about what happened when when Wenger was forced <laughs> out. Uh, Emery was the guy they hired, although Arteta was the other finalist. And uh, then with Emery, hmm. he did okay, but there was a clear sense they weren't quite. It, there was a sense they weren't quite as good as they perhaps should have been. They were getting a little stagnant, and then. The team started to fall apart, and Emery was fired about, I want to say, November of, I think, 2019. Uh, and then yeah. Arteta comes in uh, in December and has been there since. He finished out the 1920 season and, of course, has been there. Uh, obviously, has been the manager since then. Um, it, it, there are a lot of interesting criticisms of Emery. Uh, apparently, one of the things, he, he was angry in the after after the game because he had not told Martinez to go up for the corner. And in fact, maybe it told him to stay back. Uh, which oh is yeah, a which is a curious decision because, as you point out, yeah, this is pretty much the end of the game. And you know, I mean, look, it it is rare that the keeper will score. There was a, a couple of years ago, uh, Alisson did it for Liverpool, and it was a crazy moment. Everyone thought it was great because you know keepers don't usually score goals. But right. you know that doesn't, you know, there's. A, yeah, it's a bit of a gamble, obviously. But then, of course, for them to get caught out like that and. It was uh, it was it was Vieira, Pedro Vieira, no Pablo Vieira, sorry, right? Um, Pablo, who, yeah. who picks up the ball and he makes the pass to Martinelli, which is it's a great pass and best of all because of Martinelli's speed. Once you get it in front, right, it, he was going to get caught and actually you, you can sort of see it a little bit behind the play. Vieira makes the pass, kind of falls on his knees and is already celebrating because he can already tell what's how it's going to end. 
as Martinelli's running in at about the top of the 18-yard box, kind of throws his arms out wide and then takes a few more touches to get to about the penalty spot and then uh, then just, you know, but um, just rolls it in the rest of the way. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, it's by the way, it's Fabio Vieira, right? Fabio Vieira. What am I got? Yeah, Pedro Pablo. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna blame. I'm gonna blame this. I'm gonna blame the stomach flu I'm dealing with. Uh, yeah, Fabio, yeah, Pablo Vieira. Yeah, it wasn't on the tip of my tongue either. But yeah, yeah Fabio, Fabio Vieira. Um, you know, was, yeah. So that was that was uh, the ice. That was the icing on the cake. Uh, definitely a lot of. Uh, a, a, definitely a, a, yeah. a nice way to close out the game. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's really any denying that it's what Martinez should have done under the circumstances. I think even if he doesn't directly himself score the goal, he's he's helping put pressure. He's helping get some of the Arsenal players kind of out of the way. He's just adding to the numbers because usually there's overall going to be roughly eleven players trying to block the goal, and at best maybe nine that are trying to get it in. So, you know, he made it 10 V 11 instead of nine V 11. And so what's, what's the downside? You saw the worst case scenario here for Aston Villa. So they lose two, four instead of two, two, three. Right. So, you know, yeah, I guess they get the inverse of the goal difference on this case. So, you know, they're, they're down one goal for the season, but you know, ultimately I think the points are probably what end up mattering the most. And they didn't really have a point to lose there only to only to win. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree generally, like it doesn't, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Like it, you, you are facing a moment of desperation. You need to, you need yeah. to, you need to take advantage of that. Ben, they chose desperate times call to, for desperate measures. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I guess they decided <laughs> Emery decided that wasn't what he wanted to do, which is fine. But yeah, I, I mean, yes, it worked out probably the, the worst possible way from Villa's perspective, but yeah, I mean, uh, you, you still wind up with zero points. So it, it, if that's quite correct, it's a curious decision. There is a sense though, that because of their time together at Arsenal, that Emery isn't a huge fan of Martinez um, mm. for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, baggage, there is also, yeah. there's some of the, there's some baggage there. I mean, they, again, they were, he, he was the backup on, he was the backup keeper when Emery was there. So they certainly know each other there, but also, I mean, he's played well with Villa, obviously winning the world cup with Argentina. There's a sense, I think for some people that he's, um, probably a guy who's going to get some interest from some bigger teams uh, around Europe and, and wants to play in the champions league, which is not something he's going to, it's not a chance he's going to get at Villa. Let's just, let's just say that. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that all, that all makes sense. Um, One thing kind of following back to a thread from months ago on this show, uh, I was asking about, yeah, okay, so the ball needs to stay inside the touch lines. What about the player? And I was kind of extrapolating some far-fetched notions of, you know, running, <laughs> running like the length of the field, but out of touch. And, and apparently this is something that does happen sometimes. It was in the 72nd minute, Ben White had the ball and he was moving the ball up the field toward the goal. And it made sense under the circumstances for him to have his feet over the touchline while keeping the ball in. And he moved that way, not, not far, maybe a yard or two, but uh, it was something that apparently does happen sometimes under limited circumstances and, and that's okay. So, <laughs> yeah, right. It's not it, like, I know in, in the comparison I'm thinking is, is American professional football where like you have to, you have to make a good faith effort to reestablish yourself in bounds. You can't just run out of bounds indefinitely. I mean, sometimes guys will get pushed, but they have right. to make a 
there's they have to put effort into it into getting back in and sometimes when there's the rules that they can't be the first player to touch it after they come back in so um yeah yeah so uh so when the dust settled this weekend uh yeah we were we were at the top of the table again manchester drew in their uh saturday match they played later in the day saturday i think right Yes, they were they were in the slot after us, uh, a one one draw at Nottingham Forest. Yeah, so you know we we overall have a two point advantage over them in the table now, which you know with the game in hand is is not a bad place to be in. That's that's pretty good. So um, I'm hoping that this is the beginning of the scenario you laid out last week, where okay, yeah, we lose against City, but then we win and we win and we win and we win the next four matches. We can pick up a lot of points there, and uh, you know, hopefully, we're we're on the way to doing that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at look at the games we have coming up at Leicester, who's Leicester's not particularly good. Uh, it's an away game, so that doesn't be, there's you know it's okay to be a little nervous about that. But they are in the bottom half of the table. Um, they're not quite out of the relegation. They're four points uh, clear of relegation, so they're probably okay, but still not a great place for them to be. And then we have Everton at home, a game that frankly we should win. Uh, Everton still mm-hmm. even with a better even with a better manager, still not particularly good. Uh, Bournemouth at home, another game. Uh, another, you know, Bournemouth is just above relegation. Um, actually, Everton's just out of relegation now. But I mean, you know, it, those are those are three games. A lot can plus change, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> and then we're back to the Europa League uh, the, there. That but that'll take us into March. So yes, this is right. a, this is a, this is a stretch where we really need to uh, rack up the results and pick up points. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully we're we're on the way there. Um, some some questions that I accumulated over the course of these two matches. I just wanted to try and see how many of them we could knock out. Um, first one: How long is the halftime break? And further, is this a is this part of the laws of the game, and it's going to be the same in every competition in every country, or is it maybe different in the Europa League versus Premier League or something like that? Yes, uh, halftime is fifteen minutes, and I, I I don't remember if it's like actually actually in the laws of the game, but it is consist that is consistent across competitions. There is a, more so okay. I feel like in soccer than in others. There is this real attempt to make sure that the game is the game, whatever the level you're playing at. It is part of the reason there was right. some resistance to things like VAR because there's so few. Uh, you know, so few stadiums could actually effectively in- institute VAR, and you know, obviously, hmm. youth games aren't going to do that. But on some level, there is a sense that the game should be the same, regardless of what level it's being played at. And so, yeah, halftime is fifteen minutes. Okay. Next, I noticed while we were playing Manchester City, it seems like their shoulder patch for the Premier League is gold instead of purple. Did they win the title last year? And is that a signifier of that? Yes, yes. They're the two-time defending champions. Um, And so, yes, the gold is the, the fact that they're the defending champs. That's cool. That's a nice touch. I like that. Um, I'm hoping that we'll be wearing that next season. I about to say that would look pretty cool. That would look pretty good on our on our kits. I'm just saying. Yeah. Honestly, if they if they don't change our whatever it is, the second or third kit that they were wearing against Aston Villa, the the black and the gold already, uh, yeah, that that would <laughs> that would actually um, go pretty well. 
Well, they, they will. We are not going to. Well, this will be the only season we wear that kit. Uh, but you're right. It would look particularly good with the with yeah. the gold, the black and the gold. But we will. We are. Um, we'll have a we'll have a full set of new kits uh, next year. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> and that's just kind of yeah. That's just kind of the way. Um, that's just kind of the way it goes. Uh, that especially mm-hmm. these days, that's how that's how it goes. I have seen some rumors about uh, next year's designs and what they'll look like. Um, supposedly, we'll have yellow. Uh, yeah, I suppose we're looking at a yellow for the the away or like a um. Hmm. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to pull up some of those some sites that sure. have links. Uh, yeah, apparently it's more of like a looks like a fluorescent yellow. Um, but uh, which look which will look similar to um, I guess we wore it when we wore it a couple years ago. Yeah, no, last season the yellow from a couple years ago looks similar. Yeah. All right. Um, Next, I want to just kind of clarify and confirm my understanding of one specific part of offsides. Um, So when they're determining whether let's let's just say a goal is valid in this case. Right. So Mm -hmm. a pass is made to a player who is onside, who then kicks it in. Does it matter if a player nowhere near the ball not being passed to is offside is that play still offside or does it only matter who you're passing to so it depends um Hmm. a player can be in an offside position if the referee determines that they're impacting what happens to the play so if you're the official so if there is a sense that if you're in an offside position even if the ball doesn't go to you but if you if it, it could be argued conceivably that you are in a position where you're maybe distracting the keeper or he has to account for you in, in a certain way, um, then even though the ball doesn't go to you, you could still be considered offside and, and ruin the play. Someone actually pointed out um, Aston Villa had a goal called back uh, against us a few, during some of the COVID games, which, because I saw the highlight and it was, there was nobody in the stands, um, where they right. had a player in an offside position. Now, the, the, the comparison point is, is Jorginho's goal because we actually had two... Uh, we actually had two players in an offside position when that happened. Oh now, yeah, yeah. I remember typically, that, the yeah. way they the way they talk about that involves the idea that, um, you know, certainly the ball because the shot came from much further out. Uh, then also the, uh, you know, uh, Martinez clearly has time to see the ball. Uh, it's clearly time to make the play, and of course, it has no impact on it hitting his head and and bouncing in, but. Uh, the argument yeah. there is that he does not; they, those two players do not impact the play, and therefore, it is not offside. But you know, it's it, it is the kind of thing you would you would look at. And I don't know if they actually look. I think they look at goals just in general, just to be sure. But I think that would have been right. something they would have checked to be sure. But generally speaking, they said that's not a call you typically see, given given how far out Jorginho's shot was. Well, right, and that wasn't a contentious VAR situation. They weren't showing it on the the broadcast feed. So yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that would be, um, well, I guess there, that would be the, um, that would be the counter. I mean, if, if the, if VR is looking at it, they'll show it on the, I'll show it on the broadcast. Um, but oh, yes, always? obviously, yeah, they'll, they'll show it. Cause you'll know, cause you'll need to know that oh, it's being, that VAR is looking at it. They'll tell you it's being looked at. I think there's well, a, I, but, 
I don't I don't know about that though because the, I mean having you said before that VAR like mandatorily reviews every single goal no matter what. Right? Well, right. So yeah. So I think what what was going on there as I, as I was saying that I, I I could see the confusion in what I said. So I think I think that when there's a goal, v, the VAR official is just looks at the play just to make sure there's nothing. Now if he sees something, he'll call down to the referee and either say I and you know this is a, a point of contention that I don't recall. He might be saying. Hey, you should take a look at this, or no, you missed something and you need to fix it. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a VAR check. You know, the, you probably what you probably see is okay. The referee, but you know, puts the finger to his ear, and VAR says, "Nope, you're good. It's fine. Okay, then we're good." Um, but they generally, as right. I understand, kind of a first review, pass, not a detailed review. Right, just check to make sure there wasn't anything out of the ordinary, and in most cases, you can. You know, as you, as you see, most goals there really aren't a lot of controversy attached to them. But, mm-hmm. all right. Um, so next, I noticed during the Aston Villa match that one of the commentators kept on. I I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't think to try turning on the subtitles or something, but um, it sounded like he kept on referring to the goal line as the byline, like you would refer to like uh, a New York Times byline. Who, who the person who wrote the article? It's by them. Um, is that a phrase that that is used to refer to the goal line, or am I mishearing that? No, no, you heard you heard it right. Um, it is the it's it's generally referred to the goal line. I think that's an Englishism. Um, but yeah, it refers to the the short the as they say the the short the markings on the shortest side of the field, which is you know the the goal lines basically, as opposed to the sidelines. Okay. Which are, um, Although I believe, yeah, I believe, here we go. The bylines, the portion of the goal outside the goal posts. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So on, right, between the goal posts, it's the goal line, but between the goal posts and the corner posts, that's the byline. I believe, I believe that is the case, yes. Okay. So if it goes over the goal line, a point is scored. If it goes over the byline, you're in a corner kick or a goal kick situation. Okay. I believe, yeah, I believe that is the case. Um, I think it is also something a little bit of the uh, an Englishism, not the kind of it's not the kind of thing you would hear in, in an American in American mm-hmm. context. It kind of seems like, given given the way that I broke it down, like it should be called a by kick when uh, when it goes over that line, and it was the opposing team that did it, but. <laughs> Okay. Um, one strategic uh, and or tactical question I wanted to ask you, I guess it would be strategic because it was done repeatedly throughout this match, but um, it seemed especially when the ball was being kicked from, I guess, from the goalie's perspective, the right side of the field. So these are the kicks that either Trossard or Martinelli would typically be kicking in from for corner kicks. We were doing a lot of short kicks where there'd be a player right next to the corner who would be passed to. They were doing that a lot. And and Arsenal had the lion's share of the corner kicks in this match to begin with. And and the majority, I think, of those were these short kicks. Why why do it that way? What is the thinking there? Like, If I'm understanding the strategy right of a regular, what I would consider to be a traditional corner kick, you're just kind of kicking it into the air in front of the goal and hoping that some of the chaos in the box manages manages to get it over the po or over the goal line. Um, with a short kick, what what are you hoping to happen? What is the advantage of that? 
Uh, so in typical the case with, with something like Arsenal or for the short corner, it's meant to be the setup to a different play. Um, you know, because they're set pieces, there's actually a lot of work goes into what it is they're doing or trying to do. You won't always see that because they also rely on a good service. And we've had a few instances this season where the service hasn't been so great. And so whatever plan mm. was in place it isn't going to play out. I think the op- the goal here is to... I-, I think the goal in a lot of these cases is to sort of destabilize, I guess you could say, the defense, like force them to move around in different places uh, so that they're, but they're moving or shifting. And then so the idea is that you can maybe find some additional space that you wouldn't have uh, otherwise. Okay, maybe kind of get yeah. around... Yeah. Right, or just or just to set up, you know, guys in different places, uh, you know, just to, anything to force the defense to move around or adjust or uh, give yourself a different angle from which to serve in the ball. Some teams don't want to serve it in from so deep, so you you roll it short to Odegaard, and he he steps up and rolls it in from the edge of the box a little higher. You know, he's going to be a little further back, uh, but can send it in an angle he's more comfortable with. Uh, so maybe that you know that's one way yeah. to think about that. Uh, but it's it's all about okay. just a chance of giving yourself a different look or sending the ball in, in a different direction. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. One last question, and I think maybe appropriately given the the particular moment where I thought of this with uh, with Aston Villa. But um, so when that corner kick that resulted in Martinelli's breakaway goal that brought it to um, a four-point score for us. Um, That whole play started like right around the six minutes of stoppage time. And so then by the time that he was done scoring and the celebration began, we were at like 96 and a half, probably 97 minutes or so. Um, And the whistle didn't blow until the teams had all formed up again with the ball at center field and they had the kickoff and then the whistle blew. So is it a rule that the ball has to be in play when the final or the halftime whistle is blown? Is that why that is? Uh, Not necessarily because you will see sometimes the ball going out and the referee just deciding there. A, A lot of it's referee's discretion. And a lot of it is also typically what you'll see. Well, there's two things. One for this game in particular, because of uh, Jorginho's goal was in stoppage time because there was a little bit of more time wasting. They were giving more stoppage time. They, they were well, even when that corner comes in, it's well past six minutes. Um, Right. So we're already, so we're already beyond there, but a lot of that's been given in because they've had some delays and stoppages. And so they want to add that time in. The other thing that's going on is typically you'll see referees, uh, basically allow an offensive team to finish a possession. Like if you're, if you're breaking forward and you have the ball and it looks like you have an offensive chance coming, they will let you play that, that out. And then right. once the ball, once the ball gets thumped away and usually what you see, especially at that point in the game is, is defenders just thumping the ball to midfield because the idea is once it's been cleared out like that, okay, that's that, that's the game. And then you'll see the referee call it there. Okay. The, the sequence is over. Time's up. Uh, remember when they when right. they announce stoppage time, it's always a minimum of X number of minutes, so they can run longer. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I guess what I was wondering is why. Okay, Martinelli kicks the ball; it goes into the net. Why not two seconds later blow the whistle three times and end the match? Why wait for the celebration to finish and for the teams to form up and actually have a kickoff? Like what? What was? The point of that, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Well, I think there was a sense that Villa could have still had 
I, I don't think it was a case, and I, I could be wrong about this. I think they played for a little bit after the kickoff, after the restart. Um, oh, okay. So, I, so I, I, and I don't recall at that point because, of course, once he finishes it, we're all we're all going crazy. So, yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I think what happened there was, you know, the referee's discretion was they could there was still some time left for them to play, and so he let them play out the next the less the I guess maybe it was another minute or something, and then then at that point, uh, he was able to call it. Okay, so. And again, right. you know, because of the because Fair of the importance enough. of goal difference, if, if Villa breaks in and gets a goal and it's four three, I mean, maybe that is the difference between the, between them finishing, you know, seventh or eighth, and probably not. But mm-hmm. you know, you you have to you have to act like you, you can't necessarily just dismiss it in that case. Yes, the game was over in that sense, but you know, it's right. another layer to that. I gotcha. All right, so uh, we touched on it a little bit, but uh, remind us what's coming up for next week. So, yeah, so we have just one game next week on Saturday morning. We will play Leicester City on the road, uh, the King Power Stadium, uh, which should be an interesting game. It should be a game we do. Uh, it should be it should be a game we should feel confident in. Hopefully keep the keep the energy rolling from this one. And then also for those people who are curious on Friday morning, uh, Friday morning, at 6 a.m. my time in Texas, I think 7 for you then, uh, is the draw for the round of 16 for the Europa League. So we will see who we end up facing uh, for those games, which will be in uh, March. Okay, right. Yep, they are in March. They are while I'm going to be on vacation, so I've seen them popping up uh, on the calendar. Yep. Yeah, so th- so those will be on. Uh, Thursday is the last game of the games of the playoff round, and then we will see them on, uh, th- yeah, then on Friday will be the draw. I believe also Friday is also the draw for the Champions League as well. Um, I think they treat them as different that events. Draws sense, always yeah. a, draws are always fascinating things to watch because they're actually this massive production for what's really just pulling ping pong balls out of a bowl. Right. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So if uh, if I wanted to watch that, is that going to be on uh, Paramount Plus? It's just uh, in amongst the other UEFA stuff on there. Um, no, I don't, I don't recall seeing it there. I think typically what I end up finding it is on, on, they have a video that runs on their Twitter feed, I think is where I usually end up seeing it. Okay. Um, or, you know, I sort of forget and then log it, you know, open up my computer later. I mean, 6am, so I'll be awake, but also, you know, I might not quite pull it up in time and then just open (laughs) up and say, Arsenal drew so-and-so. Okay. Good to know. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we really appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. You can help even more by rating us on Apple Podcasts, help new people find the show. You can become a Gooner U super fan to download a raw, unedited recording right away if you want to find out what happens right after we record. You can start a free trial on Apple Podcasts today. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Come on, you gunners.